podcast, where we promulgate that your physical, psychological, and financial health are your true sources of wealth that must be safeguarded and optimized to achieve long-lasting happiness. Here, we'll discuss tactics on how you may self-actualize to reach the pinnacle of authentic masculinity by embracing true libertarian principles, arming yourself with red pill knowledge, as well as implementing the most up-to-date holistic health biohacks to optimize your health. Stop being a blue pill sheep, being led to slaughter by big government and the court system. Become an awakened man. Here's your host, Gregory. Hello, everybody. This is Gregory, and welcome back to another episode of The Awakened Man. I hope you're doing well today. Today, we're going to talk about how I think America is in a collective depression and give four or five reasons as to why I think this. Now, I think most people would agree that America has been in decline. I mean, to the to the extent and point that we, we had Donald Trump say, make America great again. Now, some could argue that maybe only conservatives thought and think that America's in decline, and therefore they would embrace such a slogan. But I think even though the left and the liberals would admit this is not the America of the 1960s, and that on a lot of levels we are declining, it's certainly it's a multipolar world, it's not a unipolar world that we were in post-World War II. And there are, economically speaking, other countries that are vying for hegemony in the world, certainly China and the EU and so forth. But I just think if you look at not just the economics, but just America itself. We are in a funk. We are in a collective depression. And I think there's four or five indicators of this that I think reflect that that as a whole, Americans are suffering. And of course, when I say this, people are going to think, well, the inflation issue, of course, I mean, that is a humongous issue. Our dollar is not going anywhere and you think of people who are trying to buy a home right now like how difficult it is for first-time buyers with home prices going up and and just the price of eggs like for example here in texas now the cheapest eggs are four dollars and eighty cents and we just we just know the economy is not doing well but i'm not talking about that i'm talking about more of outward signs of inward dysfunction that we as a society are experiencing and even though people would say like how you doing when you when you meet people how you doing i'm doing well are you and so i only give five indicators four or five indicators that maybe we're not doing that well and i think they're all related to kind of being the awakened man and epitomizing and, and accentuating all aspects of your life so the first one in no particular order would be just obesity right if we are the most obese we've ever been in human history and certainly in the united states 70 percent are overweight 40% are obese. And if you compare that to even 40 years ago, obesity rates have skyrocketed, not just in America, but all over the world. You look at countries that never had obesity or having obesity issues like China, Japan, simply because we're exporting the standard American diet over there. But in America here, just look at Americans. Americans are fat. We are fat. The average woman is 5'3 and weighs 170 pounds. Average man isn't much better. And why are we fat? You know, I talk about over in Confessions of an Obese Child, one of the other feeds here, that people are fat not because of a glandular or metabolic disorder. Typically, it's because we have a disordered relationship with food. We use food to numb the pain. And unlike a four-year-old who you put food in front of, they won't touch it, like, like, or like a dog. They won't touch it until they're hungry, then they'll eat till they're no longer hungry, and they'll stop eating. They don't eat till they're, oh, they're full and and bloated and about to pass out. Kids don't do that because they understand food, I eat when hungry. No longer hungry, stop eating. 
Animals are the same way. But to become obese, you have to eat a lot of calories. So why are you eating? Well, personally for me, it was just, I had an alcoholic, rageaholic father, and then a, a, a mom who was depressed and always on antidepressants and kind of checked out and focused on her own problem. So as a young child, I didn't get nurturance. And so I turned to food because food was the most ex easily accessible thing at four years old, five years old. So I'd say that the majority of obese people do have a disordered relationship with food. They connect emotions to food. Instead of food just being physical, a, a means to physical nurturance of the body, in other words, getting calories to keep the body going, we use it to numb the pain, numb the emptiness, or we, we connect it with emotion. So I eat when I'm happy, I eat when I'm sad, I eat when I'm stressed, so forth, so forth, so forth. And that leads to obesity. So I think that's an outward sign. If Americans were, were feeling good about themselves, they wouldn't have to turn to food to soothe themselves or numb the pain. Concomitant with that would be alcohol. Alcoholism or alcohol dependence is a major problem in the West and certainly here in America. Alcohol dependence is defined as having more than 10 drinks a week for women and 14 drinks a week for men. So you guys know how much you drink alcohol and would know that if you reach that threshold, alcoholism is defined by it affecting perniciously or negatively your physical relationships or your job. So you can be like we call a high-functioning alcoholic, like my father, and you're essentially alcohol-dependent. Right? I need that glass of wine to get home. Right? I need it. I need it. I need it. And you lead to, it leads to a psychological and emotional crutch. I need this. So you know that people are drinking an inordinate amount of alcohol. Why? To be in an altered state, to get away from whatever issues are haunting them. And you can also throw in with food and alcohol and drugs. We know that 40 years ago, yes, people were smoking pot, of course. But now with the legalization of marijuana and legalization of other, of other I guess we would call recreational drugs like the hallucinogenics, and more important, the normalization of these things, they're more prevalent. They're more prevalent. And again, why are we smoking pot? We do have an early episode here about how increasing your marijuana consumption increases your chances of becoming a schizophrenic and having psychotic breaks. I mean, this is the, the pro-pot lobby will, of course, dismiss this. And you'll find articles on both sides that will tell you either pot's good, it, it helps with glycoma, it helps with this, helps with that, da 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 da, da. And then you'll have people like me who say it's not worth the, the, uh, the risks. And they, the pro-pot side will, will dismiss anything I tell you about increasing your chances of schizophrenia, for example, and other severe psychiatric disorders. Because they have an agenda, right? They want to legalize this. There's, a, there's a, of course, a financial incentive and all of this and so forth. But either way, there wouldn't be a market for junk food, alcohol, and drugs if we were in a more, if we, if we didn't have an attachment to them because we felt good about ourselves. But when we don't feel good about ourselves, we want to be in an altered state. And alcohol does that, right? Gives you the buzz. Drugs do that. Gives you the buzz. Food for a little while, those first few bites, puts you in an altered state. So we know that drug use is higher than ever before. Alcohol use is high. Uh, food, clearly, with the outward result of obesity, is very high. Psychiatric drugs. We have an episode here early on how something like 40% 
40 to 50% of all psychiatric drugs, or all antidepressants, I should say, are prescribed to women over the age of 50. So the typical American is taking seven, I think it's like seven, 50% of Americans are taking seven or more psychiatric drugs, or seven or more drugs. So we know that the, the, there's a lot of people on medications, and a lot of people are on the psychiatric ones, in particular antidepressants and anxiolytics, anxiety drugs like um, clonopin, Ativan, Xanax, those drugs. And why? Why would they need to be on it? Why would you need to be on an antidepressant? It's because we're in a collective depression as a society. And not you. I'm not saying you are depressed per se. That we are in a collective depression. And these are outward signs. Another one, when you're depressed, you just want to wear sweats all day, right? You just lounge around at home. You want to be in your bed. And if you look at the DSM, Diagnostical Statistical Manual on mental, for Mental Disorders, the, the criteria we use for depression, it's interesting because it's like you eat too much or you eat too little. You sleep too much or you know you don't sleep at all. But we essentially just don't want to dress up. And you see this is an, a massive epidemic. Uh, Jordan Peterson talks about this. A lot of people will talk about this. And I think clothes maketh the man. And you look in the last 30 years, Americans don't dress up. You go to the grocery store, you go to restaurants, you go to church. Those of you who do go to church, you see people are wearing jeans, people are wearing t-shirts, people are wearing jeans with holes in it, people are wearing sweats, sweatwear, and and whatever uh, when they go out. And if you look at all of our, every generation in American history, always, even the poor, when they went out, even to promenade in the streets, would the men would be wearing trousers and a button-down shirt. People, men used to wear coats and suits much more often. Now it is a dying breed. How often on a given day do you see a man wearing a sports coat or, heaven forbid, a suit? Now, some of you might work in white-collar professions like maybe be a lawyer. Uh, but even then, you know, you see in, in law offices that the, the more casual attire. And this is somehow supposed to be seen as liberating and how casualness is a good thing. No, I remember I have, I have some friends who are teachers, and they implemented among the, the, the teachers like a tie Tuesday. Let's dress up and all the men wear a tie. And the argument is, look, if we look good, it, not only does it say something about our profession, because teachers in the past used to dress up, but it's also good modeling for these kids, because if you go to high schools that don't have a dress code, the kids are dressed even worse. They either dress like meretricious hookers, or they're just, again, wearing t-shirts with holes in it, sweats, and so forth. So instead of having, like at a lot of companies, dress down Friday or casual Friday, oh no, I think the opposite needs to happen is dress up Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Clothes maketh the man and woman. And you look around, men and women are not dressing up anymore. And that's an outward sign of a depression. That's a classic outward sign, right? You don't care. You don't brush your teeth. You don't groom. You don't put on clothes. Because when you feel good about yourself, you know what you're not doing? When you feel good and confident about yourself, you're not turning to the booze. You're not turning to mind-altering drugs. You're watching what you eat and you dress well. Because people do judge you on how you speak and how you dress. And you do dress well. But you see these growing trends, these four or five trends, 
are going in the way of slouching toward Gomorrah. You can look at our speech, too. Like, it's cool to speak poor English. And back in the day, it was the opposite. Otto Spengler was a great historian, and one of his most famous lines was, society is in decline when the rich or the upper classes are emulating the poor, and society is in a sentence when the poor are trying to emulate the, the upper class. So you look, let's say in the 1920s, the poor people tried to have good manners. They would try to wear their Sunday best, even though it might not be cashmere wool and seersucker suits or stuff like Great Gatsby or something like that, but they would try to dress up. And they would know about the arts. They would know about opera and classical music and art and these things. And today, it's all the opposite. We're all slouching toward Gomorrah. There's a collective depression in America. Is there anything that you can do to change it? No, but you can change it amongst yourselves. If you see that you are turning to these transient, ephemeral pleasures, so to speak, stop. Because ultimately, you're, you're turning to these things because you're not dealing with the inner pain that you have, whether it be childhood trauma or some sort of trauma. And if you're honest and you look in the mirror, if you are overweight or you drink a glass a day or two glasses, if it's 10 a week or 14 a week if you're a man, look at these objective criteria and be honest with yourself and be like, I am not happy. And then try to get yourself off of these things. Try to have a normal relationship with food. Try to get off the booze completely. Alcohol, as we talked about in the previous episode, is a class one carcinogen, no matter what. Even the resveratrol studies of 15 years ago that maybe it's good for your heart one glass a day. It is a class one carcinogen for every other organ in your body. So if it's shortening your life expectancy, shouldn't you get off of it? Shouldn't you try to wean off of it? Same for obesity, shortens your life expectancy. Shouldn't you wean off of that too? Yes, you should. So guys, consider it. There's two links in the episode notes. One is for PayPal. If you want to make a donation, I'll defraud the cost of hosting this on the server. And the other one is for the website that it has all the articles and all the podcasts from all the different feeds. Until next time, take care. God bless and pray. Thank you for listening to the Awakened Man Podcast. Find us on Facebook at the Awakened Man Podcast page. Subscribe and post an honest review on Apple Podcasts and consider donating to our crowdfunding account. And remember, freedom is better than needle. Until next time. Contributed to Nine Inch Nails.